good to see you all. I wanted to talk about joy tonight. I think it's important. It's an important topic that I actually like to talk about a lot. Maybe I don't talk about it all the time, but I I, I mention it every day in, in the morning sitting group or often at these evening Dharma classes. I invite people to share uh, any joy that they have because it's an important thing to always recognize that there's joy or we can find joy in our lives, um, especially now we're in this, you know, period of great upheaval in our in our society, in the world. There's the pandemic, there's uh, racial unrest, there's a bunch of, you know, scary white nationalists running around taking seats in Congress. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of economic insecurity, a tremendous amount of economic insecurity, economic imbalance in our in our society. Um, a lot of stuff is going on, so it's very easy to become overwhelmed by that if we don't pay attention. Uh, it, it's so easy to drown in it, and uh, there are a lot of difficult emotions, it, and sometimes we even um, judge it. We even recognize that there may be joy present, but we judge it and say, how can I feel this when there's all this other stuff going on? How can I allow myself to experience something um, like this? And that... Uh, the invitation is to always be with what's present, even joy. Um, it's not frivolous. It's not trivial. It's an important part of being open in awareness. That was the instruction I was giving in meditation this evening was open to the awareness of what's right here. Be present. Um, I had a quote in my notes, and I, I think it was Bhikkhu Bodhi because I had BB said, um, it's important to regulate our despair, to if we fall into it, to recognize and, and come back, um, not just stay there. Because a lot of times it's over. I had a teacher tell me um, overwhelm is in our mind. Oftentimes when I'm overwhelmed, it's because I'm lost in tomorrow and the what ifs or or the stuff, the story about yesterday. So to, you know, really make the effort to. To, to bring ourselves back into what's right here and recognize sometimes there is joy present and recognize it. It's not conditional. You don't, you're not allowed to feel joy when you meet certain criteria. If it's present, it's present. Um, and uh, everyone experiences joy. You know, we sometimes think that people who are in dire circumstances have no happiness. It's like it's like this black and white kind of a thing instead of recognizing that everybody can connect with that, can can connect with something. Um, it's important to see it. I, um, um, I was thinking about um, the other night or the other day, a Thursday, I, I was talking about this and I was. I think I was really pissed off about something on Thursday. Something got me and I was like, Rawr. but then um, the sunset on Thursday, I still remember it was extraordinary. I kind of looked out the window and the entire sky was this incredible orange, the entire sky, not just a corner with clouds. It was 
I even I even went to the front door and opened it because my windows my door faces west. And it was just so I just sat there or stood there and just experienced this this joy that this this sight brought to me. It wasn't related to anything else. It's it doesn't have to be related to it. And it's like, oh no, I can't be joyful because X, Y, and Z is happening. That's that's taking yourself out of the present and creating stories or dropping into stories. So it's really important. And in fact, it's a very vital part of practice. There's a, in the teaching of the seven factors of awakening, which are the seven factors that are necessary to become enlightened. There's mindfulness and effort, investigation, um, equanimity. It's included in that is joy. Sometimes pity is often translated as as um, rapture, but it's 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 a joy. So this is an important part of practice is to be with joy when it's present. Um, you know, the Buddha talked about the ease of practice and the joy of being. So there is joy that comes from this practice. It's part of the it's one of the five parts of concentration, which is attention, joy, collectedness. Um, you know, and it exists without regard to circumstances. I was reminded of this. Joanna Hardy and Sabine Selassie are doing the BIPOC and Allies group tomorrow morning, or t yeah, eleven tomorrow. And their title of their um, talk is "This Freedom Can't Take It Away." It's not joy, but it's freedom, and it's like you can't take this away. You cannot take joy away if it's present. Circumstances can't destroy it. And it's um, the joy that it's not associated, like I said, it's not conditional, it's not associated with anything. There's oftentimes there's happiness that we chase. You know, this will bring us happiness. If, if my team wins the Super Bowl tomorrow, I don't have a team. But if the team I think should win, I don't have a, I don't care. But people do. And if their team wins tomorrow, then they will be happy. If their team loses tomorrow, then they will be sad. That's happiness that we is dependent upon outside situations. And that happiness, there's nothing wrong with that. It's our relationship to it that's that's um, important to recognize here that we're not bent too uh, in one direction too much too much in one direction or another, but that we um, recognize oh this will be this will bring me happiness and then recognizing that that happiness is impermanent, it's not going to last. And when we, the problem is when we get caught up in thinking that that happiness should last forever and then we're done, that's where our suffering comes from, or we chase happiness. That's the root of suffering, this craving for a particular experience. Um, you know, joy, on the other hand, is, is an attitude, is this, when we take away our, uh, the hindrances, we're left with this this tranquility, this joy that's not dependent, that just can be felt. And I'm sure you've all felt this. If you recollect, it's not joy that you're dancing and jumping up and down. And joy can be um, maybe a problematic translation. It's this sense of ease. It's a sense of, of well-being. 
that's present when you're not caught up in, in chasing or attached or stories. It's this just being present without all this other stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's the cessation of suffering. So when you don't have the hindrances present, so when I talked about the seven factors of awakening, those are present when the hindrances are not present. The factors of awakening are not present if the hindrances are present, and the hindrances are, are craving and aversion, wanting or not wanting. It's, it's restlessness and worry. It's like this agitation or it's this dullness, this, this drowsiness where we're kind of dulled to what's going on, and it's doubt. So if we're caught up in any of those, thinking things should be a certain way, then we're, we're going to miss out on the, on the, on the joy because we can't be with what is if we're looking out there for something else. Um, I was listening to a talk the other night by Larry Ward, who's a, a, a teacher in, uh, with Thich Nhat Hanh, in the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition. Um, and he was talking, he was doing a, a, he was talking about neuroplasticity and the um, um, in neuroscience and he was talking about embodied mindfulness which is what you, we talk about when we say drop into the body relax the body and it's a way of being present it's a way of being with what's right here and he says when we are able to really embody mindfulness and really experience the present it actually rewires the nervous system we get deeper and deeper calm and we can drop into equanimity. So it's a, it's, there's, there's a neuroscientific explanation for this when we're not lost in other things, when we can really be fully present, there's a calm that arises that just bubbles up naturally. And I remember I gave a talk a few weeks ago where there, the, you know, there's a lot of this in, in Buddhist teaching. When, when all this stuff is removed, there's the ease, there's the bliss, there's the calm, there's the joy, you know, there's the cessation of suffering. So that's, that's the invitation for this practice. And, um, so it's a natural occurring experience when we're really invested in this Vipassana insight practice. If we're ardent and we pay attention, the result, one of the results will be this joy. That being said, sometimes it's challenging to get to it so we can use some support and help in cultivating it, just as we can use support in cultivating the heart practices, loving kindness and compassion. We can also use support when we, when we cultivate joy. And this is where one of my favorite topics comes in, which is, um, and one of my favorite things to teach, which is, um, uh, a lot of, uh, is, um, Awakening Joy by James Barris. Many of you know this book. Um, um, some of you don't, some of you do. Um, I, it's really good. And I've, I've taught from it a lot. And a couple of years ago, I went through a training with, uh, with James and, and 
did a class, mentored a class in it, and it's just really extraordinary. It really, this stuff really works. So what I want to do now is just kind of briefly go through his, uh, his, his, um, his suggestions for cultivating joy. And as I said, I've gone through this and the people I've worked with who have gone through this, it really has an impact on your life. It doesn't mean when at the end of when you finish taking this class or when you read the book or when you do the practice, you're going to be, you know, singing, um, dancing in the rain and all that, you know, tap dancing down the street. It doesn't mean that, but you've begun to shift perspective. You've begun to look at things in a different way, which is really what this is all about. Shifting perspective, seeing things differently. And so, in fact, that's the first the first um, step. James has has 10 steps in this book and in, in, in this uh, teaching. And the first one is intention, inclining the mind towards joy. You know, making the decision that you're going to allow joy into your life. Again, there can be, it's interesting when you begin to look at it, when you begin to say, I want to allow joy into my life, you start seeing these, these roadblocks. You start seeing something gets in the way, like the judgment, the critical voice, I don't deserve joy. You know, I, I'm not worthy in whatever way, shape or form that shows up for you. But to simply say, I'm going to make this decision to move in this direction. It has an impact one more time on the brain that you're going to start going there and say, I'm going to allow the word joy into my vocabulary. I always have these images of, you know, it's not part of my life. Whatever it is we're talking about today, it's joy. This is not part of my life, but I'm going to put it over there. I'm going to put it on the dresser in my bedroom and look at it. And, and you know, look at it as I walk by. And then when I come back into the bedroom in the evening, just kind of take a gander at it. So it has begins to seep into consciousness. It begins to come in. It's not this thing outside, you know, outside the front door locked away somewhere. It's actually now in the room. So that is, is the start to begin to incline the mind and notice what gets in the way and make a decision to choose joy if you can. When, you, when it's available, perhaps make the decision to say, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to or stand here and I'm going to look at that sunset. Or I'm going to smell this jasmine. Or I'm going to take this yummy um, sleepy time lavender tea and take a sip and go, oh, that tastes so good. Mm, there's some joy in that. So even finding, you know, simple things. It doesn't have to be grandiose, but just that little taste of joy. And then the second step, which is necessary for everything we do in this in this realm in this path is mindfulness paying attention being present for your life if you're not paying attention you're going to miss that joy boat as it goes by it's just going to pass you by and so to uh, be present and you know that is is what we do when we practice coming back you know pause relax open 
what's right here dropping the story being willing to be present to be intimate with whatever is right here that's that's what we're doing on the cushion that's what we're doing we say come back to your feet come back to your body come back to your breath pay attention be present and see what's see what's see what's uh see which hindrances are there if if joy is a result of the hindrances being gone notice what's in the way it's not just noticing what's pleasant but it's noticing the unpleasant oh man here's my i want that again i want that toy i want that relationship i want it to be this way i want all goodness in the world you know i want whatever insert story here watch that tendency watch that story that fixed idea that shows up so that mindfulness is really important and then moving into another part of this is gratitude and that's it's said to be the most direct way to access well-being I can't remember I know James says it in the book but I don't remember if it's his line or if it's a quote but it's a direct way to access well-being and that's why I um, invite you to take a few moments of gratitude at the end of every sit because it it again refocuses the mind it's a it's a way to access well-being we can all find something to be grateful for again just as there's joy and I, and again recognizing when things get in the way I have had moments in my life where I have said the breath I'm not going to be grateful for the breath I'm because I'm a dismissive type so I can dismiss anything that's the judgment that's the aversion seeing that clearly wow you know when I'm in a place of not being grateful that I can breathe especially in a time of corona then then I see there's some work to be done then I have to begin to investigate so cultivating gratitude you know what's in the way it's it's part of um, like the heart practices um, I think Sharon Salzberg writes about it in loving kindness I, I can't remember I know she writes about generosity maybe gratitude too um, Rick Hansen talks about it in Buddha's brain it's it has a beneficial impact on the on the neurons and and shifts again what goes on in the brain and so it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful habit to get into this 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 practice of gratitude even for a moment 15 20 seconds of gratitude has an impact so um, that's important and this these things this inclining the mind this mindfulness this gratitude little smudge <laughs> I love your kitty so um, it allows you to find joy in difficult times finding joy in difficult times is possible it's not joy and difficulty is not mutually exclusive you know because when you are open to everything you can find everything in each moment so you it shows up it's you know some we can't help what shows up we can't help if joy shows up you know when we're open to we're open to not 
not seeing difficult times as personal. It's not stuff that's being done to us, although sometimes it feels very personal. Just remembering that everybody experiences difficulties, pain, pleasure, gain, loss, praise and blame. Everyone has those moments. We're, you know, thinking about the five remembrances where all of the nature to grow old, get sick and die. Everything we have will be taken from us. All we have are our actions. So remembering those so that we can normalize pain and grief and sadness. And if we're mindful and staying present, we can we can laugh after a funeral. You know, I've told this. This is my go-to story. My brother died and crying one minute and a couple hours later laughing and telling stories and, and going, oh, my Look at this joy that's present. Does that, and I even thought, does this mean I'm a bad sister? No, it means this is what's right here. Be with it. Don't deny it. Don't deny the reality of what is present. You know, that's the, and then this is where we can get into the teaching around the first and second arrow. The first arrow is the, 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 the discomfort of the unpleasant, the pain, the loss, the grief. And then the story that moves in of like, well, you're not, you, oh, there's some badness here. You're supposed to behave in a certain way. You're supposed to. That should nonsense shows up. And so to be willing to put those shoulds aside, we don't have all the answers. Our brain tries to create all the answers because it gives us a sense of security and, and a, what we think is solidity in a world of, of constant impermanence. But everything's impermanent. So just be with this moment. Be with whatever's here. There can be joy. There is joy in the time of Corona. You know, there's a lot of joy right now. There's a lot of joy in the midst of this 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 um, really sad time. In the midst of the morning, M O U R N I N G, there is joy. So don't miss it. Um, another. Then this is another important part of the of the practice of moving into joy is this one chapter Jeff James calls the bliss of blameless blamelessness when we live a life of integrity and not causing harm you know it's really supportive we don't we don't have this shame we don't have this guilt because we're living in a way that our intention is wise our intention is full of goodwill. Our intention is not to cause harm. The Buddha talked about this. Live this life of integrity. That a whole section of the Eightfold Path, sila, ethical behavior, how to live in harmony with others. It's so important. You know, it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we don't fall down and do things, but how, you know, we can go to sleep with a with keeping, you know, with a clean slate, keeping our side of the street clean. You notice this stuff shows up when you sit. If you if you have any kind of mindfulness practice, that 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 stuff's going to show up, and it's going to nibble at you, nibble at you, nibble at you. I mean, we can we can create grand stories, but um, to keep that stuff at bay, but it's going to come up eventually, somehow, somewhere. Um, our rationalizations in the, at three o'clock in the morning, those rationalizations kind of get old and fly out the window, the stories of why we did what we did. But if we can just 
live ethically and with integrity from the outset, then there's a then you can you know sleep with ease. That's one of the that's one of the the promises of um, of uh, the Metta Sutta. If we live with goodwill towards all all beings, then we'll we we will sleep soundly. I'm not saying if you have insomnia, you're a bad person. That's not that. That's not what that means. But we, you get the idea. It's like, oh, we don't have anything. We don't have any crap we have to carry around with us. And there's a there's a quote in the book that I want to read. And this is from, uh, uh, from the Buddha. For one who leads a virtuous life, it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law that joy will arise. So there's this, this logical progression. If you are virtuous, live with integrity, you don't cause harm, there's no need to have remorse. And if you are not remorseful, you will have gladness. And when you are glad, you will, there will be joy. There will be this ease, this contentment in how you can sit in the world. No more of those, you know, running the other way or not answering the phone when you see that person's name. Ooh. Or like deleting emails because you just like, ah, going into denial. It's, it's really... A place of ease and I'm sure you all understand that and then there's the joy of letting go that this is this is you know again a, a, a prime prime teaching let go let go let go if clinging is suffering then the antidote is letting go and James tells a great story in here about the Dalai Lama who was, I think, at a conference in Los Angeles or some somewhere for a number of days. And every day he would go by a store. And I think it, it didn't mention the store, but it's probably something like the Sharper Image, if you remember that store that has all the gadgets. And apparently he's a real fan of gadgets. And so he would go into the store. And by the end of the week, he wanted all these things that he said he didn't even know what they were for. Or how to use them, but they were shiny and and they looked good. And so we get this stuff just pours into our our senses. We see, we read, we hear, we smell. It kicks up our 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 feeling we feeling tone. We think things are pleasant or unpleasant. We want something when it's pleasant. We don't. And so the the invitation is to let go of all of that. Let go of these these ideas, let go of your story, you know, let go of, of your deep held beliefs. I am born this way. This is the way it should be because I know. And that only generates suffering. It generates suffering constantly. Even simple things gener it generates suffering. So to really see your suffering and see what you're holding on to. This idea, this craving, this aversion, this anger, this hatred, whatever it is, can you let it go? 
It doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable for their actions. It doesn't mean we don't work to end injustice. It doesn't mean any of that. But we want to see where we're creating our own suffering by holding so tightly. And, in, and another piece of this, this, this cultivation of, of letting go is a cultivation of generosity, of opening up and sharing. Not necessarily monetarily, but of our time, of, of our, you know, whatever we have, our, our offering friendship to others. There was a lot of blossoming of generosity during the pandemic, of people helping other people. And it's really beautiful to see, and I'm sure you all have examples or can remember um, stories about neighbors helping other neighbors and so on and so forth. So this, this cultivation of letting go. And, and recognizing, you know, thinking there's a lack. If I help you, then there's not enough for me. And just being willing to, that's a story. That's a story. Can you let go of that? So. And then we start moving into some more. <laughs> these, I, lo I love these teachings. I love this teaching. I love this, this, this path of awakening joy. The next one, the next few are... Um, can be challenging. This next one is the sweetness of loving ourselves, which can is it can be sweet if you can get to that place. If you can get to that place of loving kindness, unconditional loving kindness for yourself, it's beautiful because you're not full of judgment. You're not full of that critical voice that is telling you what's not quite right. You don't quite measure up. Even if it's implicit, it can be so painful. And when we can, you know, again, like we cultivate joy, we have to cultivate loving kindness. I talked a couple of weeks ago um, about the sutta, the Rajan Sutta, where the, the king Pasanadi and his wife Malika were talking about how they find they hold themselves dearer. They are dear to themselves, more dear than anyone else in the world. And the Buddha said, yes, we have to hold ourselves dear. We have to recognize that all beings, others in the world, hold themselves dear. So in that, when we recognize that, we don't cause any harm. And so when we can love ourselves, there's this, this trickle-down effect. Maybe the only time trickle-down actually works when we recognize we love ourselves and we have love for others. Same thing, the next one is the joy of loving others, which is this metta uh, loving kindness for others. The more we practice for ourselves, it just automatically moves into others. It's It has a root in the, um, the brain, the mind. We activate these portions of the mind which are empathetic. And, and which cause connection. People who are, can easily cause harm to others don't have those, those, those parts of the brain activated. And so when we, we, we practice it, it really has a beneficial impact, again, on these neurons. And so we love ourselves. We practice forgiveness for ourselves. We practice forgiveness for others. We love others. We let go of our agenda for ourselves and for others because it's unconditional. And then 
in the loving others, we practice mudita, which is the appreciative joy, the sympathetic joy part of the Prama Viharas, where we are happy for the good fortune of others, which is so difficult because, again, we come from that place of lack. If they get theirs, there's not going to be enough for me. And I need to make sure I get mine. And so this willingness to forego that idea that there's not enough and be happy genuinely. Even if you start off just, you know, pretending, you groove the, you know, you groove the wheels or whatever it is you're grooving. You're grooving the, the, ment the, the neural pathways and begin to offer this joy for others. And then you begin to experience that when you are joyful, when someone else is happy and you are joyful for them, you're feeling joy. You actually have the experience of joy when you can be happy for others. It's quite extraordinary. And so this is well worth practicing, not easy necessarily. Mudita is incredibly difficult or can be incredibly difficult. But be willing to open up and offer that to others. I started out by saying bless their heart, which in the South is kind of a passive aggressive way of saying meh. But I'm from New York, so I didn't have that background. For me, it was a way to offer happiness and offer joy and, and um, be joyful for others and be kind and not snarky. So whatever works, finding that way in. And then, again, moving in the same realm of the heart practices is compassion, cultivating compassion for others, that empathetic part of your heart, the mind. Again, it's those, neuro, it's those um, parietal lobes that get fired up, and it's the mirror neurons where we, you know, we can relate to others and have this open heart, have this open heart in the face of suffering. We don't have to run away from it, you know? We care about the world. Our heart is touched. Sometimes we can do something. Sometimes we can't do something. You know, this is the um, this is this is the uh, the uh, a flavor of the Bodhisattva teaching. The one who foregoes their uh, awakening um, until all beings are free. It's really a powerful teaching. A powerful reflection on suffering is endless. I vow to end it. It's extraordinary. But that's a compassion. And when you can get to this place of joy and compassion, there's an ease because you're not in competition. You don't need to make sure you, you come out ahead. This country we're in is extraordinary. You know, I was, there's these, these historical reenactment TV shows on um, Discovery or something, and my husband likes to watch, and there's like, you know, the, the titans of industry from the 1800s, you know, J. Paul Getty, and, or the Rockefellers, and the Gettys, and, the, and the, all the, the railroad people, and this and that, and, and it was like, they each have millions and millions of dollars, and they're like so rich, but somebody was going to get the better of them. Like there was the race for electricity, like somebody was working with Edison and the other guy was working with Tesla. And oh, my God, Edison got this and he, I can't let him have the better of me. And it's like, who cares? Who cares? But that's so built into our culture. And we, we, we move through the world 
with that embodied in us because we're not paying attention. And how much suffering, you know, these billionaires have today. I need more. They're going to take away some of my billions of dollars. All right, you've got 47 billion. Are you going to miss one of those billion? No. No. I guarantee it. But because we've, we're so embodied in this ethos and this idea, so much suffering. I thought when I'd have $47 billion, I wouldn't suffer anymore. But no. Well, give me a chance. Try me. I promise I won't suffer. <laughs> Just try me. So this, this, this willingness to be open and not so rigid. And then the last one is the joy of being. Just relax the mind. This is that invitation, that offering that the Buddha gives us. You know, relax, be present. And, and, and if you've kind of move, started moving in this direction, there's this rest, this place of equanimity, of, of intimacy, this not running away from anything you experience. Being able to be connected to all beings, all things. There's no separation. There's no, there's no um, judgment, judgment or anything. It's this place of really being present. And there's another thing I want to read from the book about this. And this is, this is one of the gifts of this practice. It's not just when you're on the cushion, but you build up this. You, it's a cumulative effect. And you can drop into this relaxed, effortless presence at any time while listening to music, soaking in a tub, meditating, or sipping a cup of tea. It can also happen in the midst of energetic activities like swimming or hiking or singing. It happens when we invite it and stand in awe at the miracle of being alive. It happens when we set aside the judging mind that separates us from the moment. And it arises when we realize we have nowhere to go but here. All we have is right here. Can you be fully present right here? There's the joke that um, Jack Cornfield uses, and I think they have it at no something else. But there's the joke that you know you must be present to win. It's like the door prizes at the church raffle. But it's true with this practice. It's true with life. It's true with joy. You must be present to win. So these teachings, this invitation to awaken to joy is to be fully present, to pause, to relax, to open, see what's right here. You know, the, i um reminded of the quote by Ajahn Chah, who talks about when you quiet the mind, it's like a still forest pool. You'll be amazed by what animals come to drink. You just open and see what's there. And there's this ease, because you don't need it to be one thing or another. Just be with, intimate with this experience. So, those are my thoughts on joy.
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.